Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Hueo. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, we want to make sure you know how much we appreciate you. Thank you for listening and being a part of our podcast family. If you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to share your favorite episode with someone. It really does help our podcast grow. Some stories are too unbelievable, even for me to tell you. But I feel compelled to tell you this story. And it's true. It's not frightening as much as it's strange. But I was driving to work. It was a rainy evening. It was dark out. It's after the daylight savings time change in Northeast Ohio. And I was traveling along Route 14. And I saw a little creature walking across the road right in front of the path of my headlights. He looked brownish tan. I thought it was a domesticated animal, the way it was walking, funny, not really afraid of the car, afraid of the headlights. I was going a pretty good clip, about 60 miles per hour. I was coming up on it very quickly and it crossed the lane in front of my car and then the broken white line down the middle of the road. And I got closer and I slowed down. I thought it might have been a cat, a, a pet. And as I got closer, the way it was undulating and walking, I thought it was a wounded animal. cast a long shadow in my lights. It was small, low to the ground. By the time I got up on it, I realized it had... Well, this is the hard part. It was bipedal. And it was walking on two legs. Walking in a strange three-jointed walk. Not normal. Hips, knees, ankles. Not backwards like a bird. Not hopping along like a kangaroo. 
like a human being or a primate or a... I don't know what it was. And it was small. Tiny. Small. And humanoid looking. And I came up on it and stopped my car using the flashlight app. On my cell phone, I put my window down and pulled right up beside it because now it was near the curb in the other lane. And it couldn't have been much taller than a water bottle. And it just ignored me. It had broken appendages in its back coming out. Wild hair. A strange gait, a walk. Two arms. Like a little person. It walked to the grass and as it touched the wet blades of grass in the dark at the edge of my light it began to fade and it just disappeared in my field of vision it just faded away Okay, so I saw something that wasn't there. I saw an anomaly. I saw... I had a hallucination. I didn't see it. All these things are going through my mind. It's almost like I'm still there, trying to remember. And I've seen some strange things, and I've expressed strange things, but this tiny little... It was, for all intents and purposes, nude. Not a cherub body. Not a leprechaun. Not a fairy. But it definitely resembled some kind of broken-winged fairy folk. A fairy with broken wings. And it just ignored me as frazzled and disheveled and nude and confused as it was. It just faded into nature. I only saw it because it was walking across the dark black top road. And I could make it out. In the bright lights of my car. But when it finally made it to the edge. Into the grass. It just. Completely blended back into. The world it came from. This broken. Beaten down. Savaged. Fairy folk. This is the hard part.
I've seen them before. Not often. But once. When I was young. We were drinking. And hanging out at a friend's house. And we decided to walk home. And one of us dropped our wallet. So we went back to the house we came from and got a couple flashlights and we were walking up the road again looking for the flash with the flashlights looking for the wallet we found the wallet and our eyes were kind of blind so we decided to just continue walking to our destination and using the flashlights so we wouldn't get either hit by a car or stumble into somebody's traffic we had been drinking and we were under, not underage, but, you know, we were young and inexperienced. And losing the wallet kind of sober, sobered us up a little bit. And as we were walking, we saw this little creature kind of stumbling across the road. It looked frightened, and it was walking kind of sideways like a crab, you know? One leg to the left, and then the other leg would come in, and then to the left, to the left, to the left. Facing us, arms up, scared, frightened, nude. The brown skin marred with injuries, cuts, scrapes, bruises. Its tiny face bloodied, its head injured, its wings broken. It stumbled like a crab sideways across the road in our flashlights. My friend was mortally terrified, could not move, screaming. Frightening, frightening the creature even more. It stumbled backwards and fell into the grass, fading th deeper and deeper. It got into the grass. It fell on its rear and pushed itself backwards on its butt into the grass and faded out of our lights in the same way this broken one did last night. I went to a local Wiccan priestess. I knew one, believe it or not. And tried to express what I saw. And she said that sometimes people use incantations and spells to capture fairy folk punish them much in the same way a wizard tries to capture a familiar or an imp but they want to hold this creature as a pet or an object of 
some lewd fetish or masochistic intent and abuse the creature treat it like a less than an animal you wouldn't you wouldn't even treat a dog or a cat this way and she told me that there was very good reason to believe that it was one person doing this that could never ascertain or sort out who it was and it was so troubling to the communities around the area because these things don't go away these creatures are long lived and resilient to pain and even to being murdered and if they can escape and get back to their tribe they will report on who did it to them I was a young married man and I had a problem with raccoons getting into the eaves of my house into the attic so I took some stainless steel mesh and covered up the entry points and nailed tin over the spots the raccoons were entering the attic eave of my house and then I waited up at night and sure enough the raccoons showed up frightened my wife and my children actually tried to get into the second story windows because they couldn't comprehend why they couldn't get in the other ways they were so intent on getting into the attic and I realized that one of them was a pregnant female and was nesting there and had left to get food and came back. I uh, relocated the raccoons in, into a barn with plenty of food, water, and things to try to deter them from going to my house. And after a couple of efforts and leaving food in a more remote location, an old abandoned barn. I finally got them to give up on my house and stay in the barn until she delivered her litter. One night I went back to check and I saw glowing red eyes looking at me. I was just about to shoot the scavenging cat and it was a cat to prevent it from killing the raccoon's litter. I felt invested and I felt like I was well maybe I was playing God choosing the babies over a predatory cat. I wouldn't have hurt the cat it did try to hurt the babies I would attack back stop it I was playing God and at the end of the day we should just let nature take its course I think and it was such a mistake because it led to almost the worst mistake of my life a second set of eyes popped up in the darkness 
a tiny spike of a sword was squared off between the cat's dead red eyes and the helpless babies nestled in their nest. They had a protector already. If I had shot at the cat, I would have killed the fairy standing between us, invisible, blending into the surroundings. I spotlighted the cat, and in that second just before I pulled the trigger, I saw the glimpse of the thimble-sized shield and sword the fairy was wielding to protect the raccoon's brood. I pulled back. The fairy turned and looked at me. The cat ran away. The fairy stepped out of the light. I tried several times to find it, disturbing the raccoon brood, disturbing, disturbing the protector. I could hear the mother chattering in the distance, watching me from the safety of a tree. I had interfered in the course of nature. I stepped back, lowered my weapon, and left. Every fairy folk I've ever seen is different. Some look like aberrations of humanity with extra joints on their legs, their arms, their arms curled back, their legs curled up. Out of proportion, out of sync with reality, not fully dressed but not nude, their wings fluttering, they only take flight at certain times of the year. Tiny weapons, tiny tools. They have their own purposes in the world, their own path to take. And I don't question that. And I don't have rhyme or reason why they do what they do. Were they there to protect the raccoons, or were they there to harvest the raccoons? I only assumed what I thought I saw. A grand protector standing between a predatory tomcat and some helpless babies. But what if I was looking at this backwards, and it was a cat who had stumbled upon a fairy trying to kill or steal a baby from its mother's clutch. The mother driven off. I only saw what I wanted to see. That's the problem. I didn't know. There was a story of a man who lived nearby me they found him 
slumped over his tub. He had bled out over the course of several days, unable to move, unable to call for help, unable to speak, to scream, to dial a phone. His entire body, tiny, tiny, tiny little cuts, like paper cuts, little razor cuts all over his body, his throat, his wrists, his arms, his fingertips, his hands. It started in his kitchen, down the hall. It appeared he tried to lock himself in the bathroom, but he stumbled and fell over the tub. Maybe he hit his head. He had several bruises where he had either struck his head on the woodwork of a hallway or an archway or a door frame. On his way to the bathroom, there was blood handprints, marks from him striking different walls and doors, Every doorknob covered between the kitchen and the bathroom. Unable to turn it, lock it, secure himself. But whatever drove this man, the coroner said, he, he died of the death of a thousand cuts. Basically bled out. Slowly. Painfully. They couldn't find the tool he used in it. They thought maybe it washed down the drain, maybe it fell on the toilet, maybe he flushed it. There was no direct evidence of it, but there was so much it was just impossible to figure out. But there was no footprints, no marks anywhere of anyone in the house just a torn screen in his kitchen a torn mosquito screen bug screen on one of his open windows it had been cut and whatever it was came in not out but it certainly wasn't human It would seem to me that the man who died wasn't investigated properly. I thought about going to the authorities and telling them about the small creature that walked across my path that had obviously been assaulted and harmed. That it had gone back to its tribe and told them what had happened to it took a group of warriors back and saw fit to put a stop to this human menace. This sadist, this abuser who was harming innocent tiny creatures for his own gratification. The police overlooked something they thought he had.
pets. But there was no pets in the house. Just empty cages strung up above his kitchen table. Large brass, ancient bird cages. If the man did own a very, very large bird, or two, or three, as the cages indicated, there was no fecal matter or feathers to prove it. But it was possible the man had captured a predatory bird. The cuts on the man's body did not resemble the cuts that would be made by a predatory bird's claws and beak. But it was one possible answer that the creatures got loose and sliced the man up. Not being able to see properly or use his hands, defensively trying to stop them from attacking him, his hands cut several times and covered in blood, he was unable to extricate himself from the attack, seal himself off from it, fumbling with doorknobs and locks and unable to adequately stop the attack. He fell and several times injured his head until finally he passed out from a concussion over the tub edge and bled to death his blood trickling out and running down the drain like some obscene backwards running film of the psycho shower scene stabbed a thousand times with a tiny knife the death of a thousand cuts Many people said he was a aloof private, bought the house, moved there from some faraway land in Europe, that he never spoke to his neighbors, never tried to associate with anybody in the community, Because there was no obvious attacker, and it could have been an animal, or it could have been this, or it could have been that. It could have even been self-harm. They couldn't sort it out from the evidence around him. It was considered an accidental self-harm death. And soon forgotten in the community. I went back to my Wiccan friends that over the years I had contacted and discussed this strange case with. All these damaged and abused fairy folk wandering across the roads at night. Victims of some strange, ridiculous assault. Obviously, the hands of a human. I gained access to the home and found a small hidden locked box in the heating duct of the house. I opened up the box 
And there before me were many pieces of fairy folk clothing. Extremely valuable pieces that were stripped from his victims. Many victims. This had gone on for a very long time. Their clothes so precious to them. All handmade, hand-stitched, every stitch of their clothing, a magical loop of fabric from nature around them. Tiny weapons, shields, hats, pouches with little tiny jewels and gold in them, tiny rings so small you can barely see them, and recognize them for what they are. This man had operated for a very long time. As I sat in his living room and used a pen to sort through the objects, I realized I wasn't alone. I looked up, and in the living room with me was a small horde fairy folk, wings fluttering, shields at hand, weapons drawn, not a sound. Their creeping, fluttering wings gave them away. The anger in their eyes was the most frightening thing I had ever experienced in my life. I was one of them, for all they knew. One of them. I slowly, with my fingers, lowered down to the edges of each side of the box, lid up, and I slowly pirouetted and turned the trophy box around to show them the contents. And then I shoved the box across the coffee table I was sitting by to the edge towards them and sat back. I was at their mercy. One of them flew up, hovered over the box. He used his sword to flip and move objects inside the box. He looked in my eyes and I looked in his and then he landed on the coffee table and nodded to me. He closed the lid of the box, and his brethren lowered their weapons, sheathed their swords, and landed all around the box on the table, like they were lifting up a coffin. They picked it up, moved it to the floor, moved it to the side of the house to the window and extricated 
exited with it and disappeared into the night. Their personal belongings returned. Loved ones would now know the fate of those who didn't escape all those times before. And true justice could truly be served now in their community. I got to play a small part in it. And the dread that swept over me where I should have felt happiness, I felt sadness at the loss of them, the loss of their community, their members, their loved ones, their friends. And I thought about the inhumanity of my fellow man and the compassion I was shown just now. As I walked out of the house, I shook my head. I didn't even lock the door behind me. Part of me wanted to turn around and f flick my Zippo inside against the curtains and burn the whole house down. It's a bad memory of a rotten human being. But I thought better of it. And I went home. And I hoped humanity would learn a lesson from this somehow. And that's why I want to get the word out. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash Tirar de Huello. The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuele at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.